0: Wesley could feel a heat as he moved closer to the tent, a molten anger that had bubbled and simmered for hundreds of years. His blood and body screamed out for liberation, his muscles eager to flex and strain as his nails flint skin and crushed bone. He tried to stop his body, but he couldn't. It was a locomotive with too much coal burning in its furnace, but he wasn't the one feeding it. When he was finally in front of the small canvas inhabitants... He felt a smile cut across his face like a razor across his throat. There was an elation dancing inside of him, a pack of wild ravenous animals cavorting at the sight of its prey, its victim. It was the same sensation one gets right before eating after hours of starvation, an anticipatory glee that revives the body, lets it know it's still alive. But this wasn't just hunger, a primitive urge perpetuated by some biological imperative. This was deeper. This feeling was the reciprocal of anger and humiliation, an equal return of recorded punishment. This was vengeance. His body took a step, then another, and another, until he saw what it was that had riled him, the sleeping form of Cyrus Moffat. The sight caused bursting flashbulb memories of being slapped in the face and verbally degraded and, for the first time ever, being helpless to do anything about it. Then, just as his hands slowly unzipped the entrance to the tent, he felt a great weight slam into him. Wesley jolted awake, sweat dripping from his brow just roused from a fever. His breathing was irregular, hectic, as if he were on the cusp of a great violence that had suddenly been deterred. He knew now what had happened the other night when he found himself being torn at by alien creatures. You son of a bitch! You took control of me while I slept and tried to kill Moffat! Get out here, goddammit! He spoke the command as if he had any control over the menace that lived in his skull, as if it were some disobedient dog that would shrink at his scolding. But he was quickly reminded of his place when the creature, Hesperius, addressed his indignation with a loud laugh. (laughs) <laughs> you think your tongue a-whip you can lash me with? You'll find it as impotent as everything else you've tried. It took you long enough to remember, but as I said before, what can you do about it, hmm? There was quiet, as Wesley really had no retort. What could he do about it? If the Thing could now control him while he slept, what was he to do? Of course, there was the fact that the Thing hadn't tried to kill at the last few nights... So it must have been limited in some way. Well then I suppose it's time I told the others about you. I'd rather die than have you puppeteer me like some fucking marionette. (laughs) Interesting choice of analogy given how your family died. But tell me, do you think they can kill you before I kill them? Because that's exactly what I'll do, little Wesley. You'll be forcing my hand. Are you willing to take the chance? If so, go ahead, see what happens. There was an intense silence, the kind that lingers between two gunslingers right before one draws their weapon. "'I won't let you harm anybody.' Hesperius simply laughed and then receded into the ether, a terrible optimism following him. Wesley could only hope it was for show, and that the beam was truly limited somehow. As a precaution, Wesley didn't go back to sleep, but stayed up through the hours. The last couple of nights he could hear Voron whimpering, borderline screaming, in his sleep. It was no doubt that song he spoke of when he awakened in that awful green lake after the darkness, reemerging as a consequence of the underwater fiasco he had suffered only a couple days before. They all had their burden to bear, he supposed. Finally, Wesley's comrades began to wake up, hearing them mulling around camp. He stayed inside a while, feeling it difficult to move. He felt violated by the thing inside him. It was one thing to live in his head, but now it seemed to be able to stroll around in his sleep. It made him feel uncomfortable in his own skin. He eventually exited his tent, but instead of joining his friends by the morning fire, he wandered a bit into the wilderness. Fear compelled him away. As if upon greeting them, he would transform into some hideous creature and tear them all apart. At least, that's what Hesperius wanted him to believe. He roamed for a bit, the environment a landscape of twisted, dead trees and strangely malformed rocks. The latter looked as if they had been warped somehow, contorted into spirals and other unlikely shapes. Some looked like waves of magma had been suddenly solidified into place, hints of once-living things writhing in their overflowing mass. As he traveled through the bizarre maze of forestry and stone, He saw a strange structure in the not-too-far distance. At first, he thought it was another rock formation, maybe interlaced with some rogue vines and branches from a neighboring tree. But as he moved closer, he noticed the thing wasn't still. It was moving. Against his better judgment, he moved closer to it, until finally the horror of the thing dawned upon him. It was not a giant rock face at all, but a convulsing mountain of snakes. All of them were gray in hue, slithering between each other like the weaves of a basket. He could hear their flesh gliding across each other, a disgusting sonnet that almost moved him to wretch. But what further unhinged him was the grand configuration of the serpents. They were all organized to form a face, two vacant areas for eyes, and a slithering mouth that spread wide into a devious smile. Wesley was frozen. The voice tried to move him. "'What are you waiting for, fool? Run!' As if on auto-drive, Wesley ran back the way he came, branches lashing at him like whips, the sprinkling rain like tiny razor blades scraping across his skin. Once he broke through the border of the thickets, he screamed for his friends. They all broke from their positions around the fire and joined him near the mouth of the woods. What is it? What happened? There's, there's, a, there's a goddamn mountain of snakes in the shape of a face back there. Fucking things smiled at me. What were you doing out there alone? I thought we all agreed to stick together. Did you just fucking hear me, Vorin? Who cares why I was out there? What matters is there's something out there. Vorin and the rest of the group paused for a moment. Then Moffat spoke up. Perhaps we should investigate. Investigate? You fucking serious? We gotta go. I, uh, I gotta side with Wesley on this, uh, a mountain of fucking snakes sounds fucked up. River began to sign to the group. I'll go with you. Feeling guilt that he might be sending his friends to die, he quickly changed his mind. No, if, if you guys are going in there, you're not going without me. I'll, I'll show you where it is. Ah, oh, fucking great. Wesley turned and the others followed him into rocky and twisted hinterlands, trudging through alien foliage and a fog-swept forest floor. They walked for about ten minutes until they came upon a giant rock face, the thing that was once a behemoth pile of snakes get it, it. It was right here. I, I fucking swear to you. It does admittedly, from the right vantage, look like intertwining snakes. I... No, 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 no. Don't pull that misidentification shit with me. I used that trick to delegitimize too much obscurum in my day to fall for. There was something fucking here, goddammit. The group was silent for a moment, and then Moffat spoke up again. Perhaps Dr. Morrigan is right. He can unexplicably translate the local language. Perhaps he's capable of a few more things. It may be best to err on the side of caution and heed his warning. Perhaps you're right. Whatever it is he saw, real or not. It was real. Then we should pack up and get a move on, then. Who knows? It might be one of these things that live in the pits of Dair. That's a wonderful thought. The group stared at the large stone for a few moments longer... And then trek back to camp, stomping out their fire and dismantling their tents. We saw that, right? It was—it was real, or was it another one of your fucking tricks? The voice had lost its jovial tone. Indeed, we did see it. I have a feeling it's not the last time either. Hey, what? What do you mean? Hey, what do you mean by that? God, don't ghost me now. Wesley could feel his spurious fading, its mind wheeling, contemplating what it had just witnessed. It was the first time he ever sensed concern from it, ruminations of doubt. The realization frightened him. In a way, the thing in Wesley's head was a sort of security blanket. He knew that if he was in trouble, the thing would always save him, if only for the purposes of self-preservation. But the fact that something had cracked the fortitude of that confidence caused him to worry. He didn't focus on it long, however, as the group was packed up and ready to go quicker than he expected. Wesley briefly looked back in the general area where he saw the serpentine monstrosity, pondering what it meant. He remembered the awful expression it made, how that smile had seared his memory like some kind of psychic brand. He shook his head free of the thought and began to trudge behind his friends, his worries trailing shortly behind The way was becoming more bizarre, the trees were becoming more ashen and contorted, often punctuated with hollows that smoked like the maws of sleeping dragons. The rocks took on all sorts of strange geometries, some steaming from some nebulous source of heat underground. Various small holes in the soil began to appear, the exhaust of an underground fire seeping through them like gaunt wraiths ascending into the heavens. Occasionally, embers floated into view, wafting on the warm drafts of wind slithering between the thickets. No one knew where they were coming from, as there was no fire in sight. However, it was getting warmer the further they traveled. Uncomfortably so. Jesus, this Princess Snakes fuck a volcano too? What? The weird jellyfish creature said these things were the spawn of the prince's daughter and it's getting hot as fuck out here. He fucked a storm to create Lunak. Ain't too much of a stretch to think he could do it to a volcano. (laughs) Not sure if that's exactly how it happened. I don't know. The tale of the birds and the bees tells me otherwise. The group laughed at the absurdity of Salvatore's claim. Wesley was glad for the momentary levity. It eased his nervousness, made him recall the normalcy he once enjoyed as a successful biologist, husband and father. The nostalgia was brief, however, as thick plumes of smoke began to invade the land. (coughs) We must find shelter from this smoke. (coughs) I I think I see a cave up there on that hill. Not exactly fond of caves, (coughs) after the whole mutant bear incident and then the monster centipedes. Kind of batting over two with caves. (coughs) Moffat's right. We got to get out of this, or we're liable to asphyxiate. Oh fuck, man. The group begrudgingly climbed the hill, which was punctuated with knots of stubborn terrain and protruding rock, until they finally arrived at a small outcropping where the lip of a moderately sized cave lived. Moffat shined his lantern inside, looking for creatures that might be lurking within the stone hollows of the shallow caves. No mutant bears or gigantic demonic centipedes? The sun's gotta shine out of dog's ass some days. The group entered the cave and took a seat upon its cold stone floor, watching the waves of smoke pass below like the currents of some dismal sea. Wesley looked up into the sky, which looked like the toxic milieu of storm clouds and the smoky afterbirth of wildfires. Well, how exactly do we uh, navigate this clusterfuck? I suppose we wait until it clears, and then continue walking. And if it doesn't clear? I mean, this could very well be the norm as we near the pits. Riva pointed to his mask and then tore a piece of fabric from his cloak, which seemed to be diminishing more and more every day. <sighs> I suppose that's what we're going to have to do. We'll just have to hope our makeshift masks will do. Voren looked at Riva. And you never have told me what that mask is made from. River simply shrugged his shoulders, the hints of a smile showing at the edges of his mask. The men sat around for a while, idle, talking amongst themselves about trivial things, a luxury they had missed from the old world. Wesley looked down at the terrain below. The area was getting clearer, the river of smoke ebbing to manageable levels. Looks like the smoke is clearing. We should still cover our nose and mouth, though. There's still enough smog out there to make it dangerous. The group nodded in agreement and proceeded to wrap rags around their faces, making them look like old-timey outlaws about to rob a bank. They slowly climbed down from their stony bastion until they were on level ground, swirls of fog and smoke pooling around their heels. As always, Riva led the group, with Salvatore and Wesley taking up the back. Salvatore got close to Wesley. So uh, you think that snake thing you saw was real? I know it was real. That's why I was afraid of. Christ, what do you think it means? You, you think it was some kind of vision or a portend or something? My, my sister sometimes claimed to have them. She's, she's always had, you know, weird experiences. Honestly, I, I don't know what it means. But it can't be a coincidence that I saw a face made of snakes and the creature that seems to rule this place is called the Prince of Snakes. Quite a departure from how you used to view things, huh? I'm not proud of how I dealt with the fallout of the darkness. After... well, after losing my family, I just... I just wanted to deny the darkness as much purchase upon the world as I could. That meant denying its children, even if it meant convincing myself the whole thing was just a bit of superstitious rubbish. But after what I saw at my house, there was no more refusing what it was. I foolishly came here to confront it. You can see the lot of good that did me. Don't be so hard on yourself, man. When my aunt and sister were begging me not to come here, there was there was a part of me, a part of me that thought maybe if I went, I I'd, I'd understand my mother's decision. Maybe I'd see something in the darkness that she saw, and it, it would make me feel better about it, make my sister more accepting of it. All my life, my sisters protected me. I just, for once, wanted to give something back. I don't know. I guess stupid. that's stupid. But how I felt at the time. It's not stupid, Sal. You were just trying to provide for your family. It's what any good person would do. Yeah, I suppose. The two quietly walked together for a few minutes, listening to Moffat and Vorin banter over Athos's state of unrest. Wesley had no idea what the Suthun, Oraman, or Ogin were, but the conversation made him realize how big the universe really was, and what a small part of it he was. Riva was stoic as ever, vigilantly keeping his head on a swivel, looking out for anything that might assail them. As they went, the terrain changed more and more. The trees began to die into charred, wilting corpses, their limbs like the flailing arms of somebody on fire. The rocks became obsidian black, maps of glowing orange lines crisscrossing their faces. The sky became thick, roiling black smoke, choking the sky of what little blue it had. It occasionally lit up due to the lightning that it was smothering, the thunder voicing its discontent. As they finally entered a clearing, the hellscape before them was almost too unbelievable to accept. Far below the outcropping were steaming cavities, some filled with void, and others filled with a dark crimson substance reminiscent of boiling blood. The land was devoid of vegetation, except for the occasional dead tree, which burned the effervescent orange of a setting sun. There were strange sounds coming from the large cavities, echoes of some malign industry that dare not draw the sun's gaze. But perhaps the most harrowing aspect of it all were the hints of abominable creatures lurking the depths. Wesley saw giant clawed hands peek up from above one of the chasms, its fingers covered in that molten substance that seemed to occupy some of the pits. However, the landscape was draped in a preternatural kind of darkness, despite the burning trees and a blood-like liquid. Vague alien shapes meandered the lands, symmetries born from nightmare and solidified terror. The smell was of sulfur and iron, a putricent mix that offended both the senses and the soil. You've gotta be fucking kidding me. Grimland is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Stephen Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about Grimland and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia. Where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. For more information about Grimland and the world of Maltopia, visit us at maltopia.com.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more